We exist to be the easiest place for people to experience the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you do not have a personal relationship with Him, it's uh, my prayer, our prayer, that you, before you leave, that you would connect with Him. Uh, before um, I start this first message, because I've had a few people ask, and, and of course they prayed for me last week, my shoulder. The good news is uh, uh, I, I did get the MRI, and I'm going in tomorrow morning. They did bump me up, so I you know, doctor can read it and tell me, you know, start a plan here, but it, 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 it really is getting worse. And one of the reasons it's getting worse is, uh, I need to make a confession here. You know, one, one of the uh, benefits of living in a small town is, you know, people kind of know your business, so if something's going on, they can reach out to you. But one of the negative things about living in a small town is people know your business. And so I'm at the football game. I drove the team down Friday night, and we're at Iola, and they have that old stadium and uh, with concrete steps, and the first step was like this big, and the second step was like that big, and uh, and I'll be, it wasn't just me. I, I looked later; other people had uh, problems navigating that too. But I was holding a coke, and I stepped up, and I misjudged it, and I fell, and uh, I I landed on my shoulder, the bad one, and so I got you know, and and so you know they rushing over there, trainer runs over, you know, ice pack and all this stuff, you know, and put a band aid on it, and. You know, took some trainer's tape because I broke my glasses. These these are my first set of glasses. So if I if you see me kind of trying to adjust, because th- these are like from years ago. But but anyway, um, so honestly, I like I really wanted to be able to come up with a story like you know, my wife and I were down at the crossroads for first Friday, and this uh, this ultimate fighter came up to try and hit on my smoking hot wife, and I said, not on my watch. This is how I fight my battle, you know, and chased him off. But uh, that uh, obviously didn't happen. So anyway. I do appreciate your prayers. Uh, again, the good news is I go in tomorrow at 1 o'clock so we can get a plan together to figure out what's going on because it's, it's, uh, it's getting worse. And so, anyway, but God's grace is good. So, um, eternity, your choice. The, the, the title of this first message of this series is Your Choice. Um, and I want to begin by reading uh, part of a verse that's found in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. It was written by a man named Solomon who was the wisest man who ever lived, not named Jesus. And listen to what he had to say about eternity. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. Also he, speaking of God here, has put eternity into man's heart. Now, I'll probably reference that statement again at some point in time or multiple times throughout this series, but I wanted to begin with it because I think it kind of helps explain this this, this innate or this intuitive part of us that sometimes wonders about eternity and the afterlife and about God, whether or not He exists. And Solomon tells us right here why we tend to do that. It's because our Creator, God, and and, and you can can argue that point if you want to, but but come on, be honest. Even if you don't believe there's a God, there are times you've wondered about what happens after we die. right? And and even wondered about, in, in this life even, wondered about some things. And it usually happens, you know, on the heels of some, you know, tragic injustice or national injustice or something like that but but even we all kind of at times we wonder about gosh you know what's what's going on here you know what, what's what's this all about all right there have been times when you've wondered why things happen the way they do what happens after we die and solomon in ecclesiastes here solomon gives a very candid view of life and when I say candid, I mean, I mean, yes, there are times that he has some tremendous insight, but there are also times that he's very cynical and even sarcastic. How many of you have ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? Okay. 
Andy Stanley says you should not even read this book until you're at least 40 years old. And I, and I kind of agree with that because there's something about living through more sunrises and sunsets that kind of helps explain some of the things that he's saying. But he is very open and honest when he talks about life, you know, trying to explain it. You know, he, he says some very, they sound very sarcastic, cynical things, right? So, no matter where you're at in your faith, or even if you have no faith, you have wondered about the afterlife and what happens when we die. And so, the purpose of this new series we're beginning this morning, titled Eternity, is twofold. First, to help broaden and expand our understanding of eternity and how what we do in this life does affect, affect the afterlife, okay? It does affect the afterlife. But also, and, and, and listen up because this is important, so, so don't lose sight of this other truth along the way. This series is also to help punctuate the importance and even the, the, the sense of urgency regarding the topic of last week's message where we talked about the Great Commission and the commandment to go into all the world and tell others about Jesus Christ, the, the afterlife, and eternity. All right? So, before we begin wrestling with some of those questions regarding the afterlife, heaven and hell, and what the Bible has to say about those places, I want to begin the series from the ground level by addressing a very, very important theological question. And that question has to do with how we get to either of those places, heaven or hell. Because there's a school of thought, and, and I'll, I'll tell you up front, this message is going to be a little bit different, it's going to be a little bit theological, but I feel like it's important to talk about this at the beginning of this series, okay? And, and, and I'm going to tell you why, because there are people who believe that we don't have that choice, that that choice is already made for us. Okay? There are people who believe that the choice of where we go, where we spend eternity, has already been made for us. All right? So uh, so I want to talk about that. Uh, and and so it's going to be a little theological uh, message, a little bit different than what we're used to. But as we progress through this, I think you'll understand what I'm talking about as we kind of launch this series with this uh, somewhat theological message. And I want to also say up front, I'm not wanting to start a fight, okay? I don't want to, this is not a debate, don't send me your emails, because I understand, you know, if you grew up in one of those traditions, that's fine. Again, the reason I'm even talking about this is because taken to an extreme, I believe that can affect, you know, our call to do the Great Commission, to go and tell others about it. Because let, let's be honest, if it's already been determined, why do we need to go? Why do we need to go? Really? Why do we even need to go if that's already been determined by God? So that's why I want to talk about this, okay? That's why I want to talk about it. That's why I think it's important. And the topic that we'll be talking about, um, it, it, it comes down to uh, two last names, uh, John Calvin, Calvinism, and Jacob Jacobus Armenian, or Armenianism. Have you ever heard those two phrases, Calvinism and Armenianism? Okay. Um, And honestly, there's a part of me that would rather not even talk about it because anytime you talk about these two opposing theological views, you're going to get branded as a Calvinist or an Armenian, all right? And I would rather just be called a Jesus follower. Really, I just want to be called a Jesus follower, okay? So so who exactly are these guys? Well, John Calvin lived in the early 1500s. Jacob Arminius lived in the late 1500s. John Calvin believed that man had no say in his eternal destiny, that God already made that decision for him. Okay, that's what John Calvin said. All right? And a lot of this, I didn't even, 
I didn't even know until I went to Bible school and seminary. So, so don't feel bad if you hadn't heard about this, you know. But uh, John Calvin believed that man had no say in his eternal destiny, that that was already determined. Uh, and Jacob Arminius believed that man had the freedom to choose their eternal destiny. But to understand John Calvin's view, we need to look at five theological points that he set forth that led him to believe the way that he did. And those five theological points form an acronym for the word TULIP. Okay? If you ever study systematic theology, most of you probably would never have an occasion to do that, but if you ever do, at some point you will talk, those five points will be talked about. But again, let me be clear about the fact, I'm not wanting to start an argument, I'm not wanting to debate, okay? I'm just wanting to kind of lay out there uh, this view and, and why I disagree with it. I, I believe that we do have a, a choice in where we spend eternity, okay? So I'm not wanting to be contentious, I don't want to argue, uh, and I don't want to start arguing among us Jesus followers because ultimately we're all just following Jesus, right? Right? Okay. But the reason I'm going to go over these with you is because embracing a belief system like, the, like this in most cases will impact how you do ministry and evangelize. In short, what you believe about these points would affect the go when Jesus said go into all the world. Okay? So, uh, before we begin looking at these five points, I need to explain the difference between two things. Uh, and these are on the notes on your, on the, on your, if you want to look them up on the, the website. Uh, the two words are doctrine and dogma. Okay? Doctrine and dogma. Now, anytime you address a certain theological view or belief, some might accuse you of attacking doctrine. And that's not what I'm doing. That's not what, and I'll show you why. Uh, let me ask you a question. Has your, Doctrine changed. Those of you who have been a Christian for a while, has your doctrine changed at all over the years? In other words, do you believe differently about some things now than you did when you first became a Christian? Anyone? Okay. Um, as you have grown, as you've matured spiritually, maybe you don't believe quite the same about certain things today as you did the day that you invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you believe something now that you didn't believe before. So, again, has your doctrine changed at all? Let me see a show of hands. Okay. Um, I kind of set you up uh, with that question because technically doctrine shouldn't change. Okay? Technically doctrine. By definition, doctrine shouldn't change. Let me explain. The word doctrine comes from two Greek words, and these are on the notes on the outline from the website. Uh, didasko, which means teaching, or didaske, which means the master's teaching. Okay? And th this is where we get our English word doctrine from a word that means literally the master's teaching. That's what that word li means literally. It's also where we get our English word doctor. Okay, A doctor is someone who is a master in a certain field. Right? If it's a medical doctor, that person has earned their doctorate in medicine. If it's some other academic discipline, that person has earned their doctorate in that related field. Philosophy, history, uh, foreign language, whatever. The point being, our word doctrine comes from a word that means the master's teaching. So, doctrine doesn't change. However, our understanding of the master of the master's teaching will and does change sometime. Now, I point that out because I don't want someone to accuse me of attacking doctrine. I'm not attacking doctrine because doctrine doesn't change. However, sometimes our understanding of doctrine does change. So, what we're really talking about here is not doctrine, but dogma. That's what we're talking about here, dogma. And dogma is what you believe about something. Okay? By the word, the word dogma is where we get our English word dogmatic. How many of you heard that word? And none of us are dogmatic, are we? 
set you up with that question too, didn't I? So I tell, I tell my wife, I'm not dogmatic. I just know I'm right. right? So what we're talking about this morning is not doctrine but dogma. Somebody's belief. So here are the five basic points to Calvinism, and they form the word tulip, and here they are. Number one, T, total depravity. Many people believe that we are so depraved in our sinful fallen nature, this is the Calvinist teaching, that we are so depraved in our fallen nature that we can't even make a decision to follow Christ. That we are so depraved, we don't have it within us to choose to follow Jesus Christ. So the way people get saved is God sovereignly zaps them and they get saved. Okay? I don't agree with that view. I don't agree with that. I do believe that we are born with a sin nature and that that sin nature has separated us from God. But I believe that we have the freedom to choose whether or not we're going to follow Jesus and spend eternity with Him. That's why the subtitle of the first message of the series is called Your Choice. Because I firmly believe you determine where you're going to spend eternity. Even though we're born into sin, still God in His grace and mercy gives us the freedom to choose whether or not we'll receive the, the forgiveness He offers us through Jesus Christ. I believe God is a merciful God and gives everyone the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ. See, here, here's the deal. Whatever your dogma, whatever you, your belief system might be, it has to be formed according to the person and nature of God. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but a God that would love the world so much, He would send His Son to die for it, but then not give everyone an opportunity to accept that forgiveness, that is inconsistent with God's nature. I, I firmly believe that. Okay? But I do believe that we're all born with a sin nature. Yes. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God's glory. And if you still question whether or not we have a sin nature, answer me this. Did you have to teach your children to be bad? Hmm? Did you have to teach your children to be disobedient? Go back to that nursery right now. Take out every toy but one. Okay? And see what happens. I guarantee you they're not going to play with, oh, here, you can have it now. and Oh, here, you can have it now. Bunch of little heathen babies back there. I mean, not our grandkids, but. See, if that happened, it would be a fluke. That is that Adamic fallen nature, right? See, we gravitate towards selfishness. At at Keith and Sydney's wedding, was sitting at a table with Sue and Gabe and Mila and, and Brett and Lena where their kids were at a table next to us. And, and then when they started dismissing the tables, uh, first they had the reserve tables, you know, to which I don't know how we didn't up. You know, I, I performed the ceremony. I'd been at a reserve table, right? You know, surely the, you know, you got to feed the pastor, you know, but, but anyway, so we were, they, 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 the, the DJ announced all the reserve tables, uh, people sitting at the reserve tables could go eat first and then they'll dismiss the other tables, uh, after that. So all the reserve, and so we're sitting there 10 or 15 minutes later. Uh, and I noticed some people that weren't at a reserve table getting up, even though they had not been announced to get up and leave. You know, and, and then at one point, um, I'll call Lena out. I saw her and the kids get up and go over, and they had not announced it yet, right? But Brett stayed there. But Brett stayed there because there's, there's two people in this world who are rule followers. That's Brett Shelton and my wife. See, those are the only two rule followers in this world that I know, right? You know, and I used to use an illustration, you know, where uh, to, to kind of expose our Adamic fallen nature, you know, someone sees a sign on a, a, a park bench that says wet paint. 
Doesn't part of you want to go, I wonder how wet that paint is. Not Sue and not Brett. They believe it says wet. I believe it's wet, right? So, uh, I, the point being, <laughs> what is the point? I got sidetracked there. <laughs> uh, the first point of Calvinism is total depravity, and some people believe that means we are so depraved that we can't even make the choice to follow Jesus. I don't believe that. I believe we're born into sin, but I also believe God, in His grace and mercy, gave us the freedom to choose whether or not we would follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. All right? That's point number one. Point number two of Calvinism is unconditional election. Unconditional election. What this means is God chose some people to go to heaven, and He chose other people to go to hell. Now, again, I'm not one to pick a fight, all right, or debate with anyone, but I'm sorry, I don't believe that. I, I, I just don't believe that. In fact, I think the Bible is very clear about the fact that God's desire is that everyone go to heaven and spend eternity in His presence. That's what I believe. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Question, what kind of God would have the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, preached throughout the whole world, but then not allow everyone to respond to it? That's a fair question. I'm sorry. That is a very fair question, right? Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the, to the whole creation. John 1, 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of some of the world. The world! The world. John 3, 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting, we're going to come back to that word, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making His appeal, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Here the Apostle Paul tells us that through His Son, Jesus Christ, God was reconciling the world, not the elect, not just those who were chosen, but the world to himself. But he goes on to say that after reconciling the world to himself, he's now appealing, pleading, even begging us to go into the world and implore, plead, even beg others to consider receiving Christ as their Lord and Savior. The point being, God, through Christ, was imploring the world, not just a few certain ones, but imploring the whole world to consider coming to Christ. And now, as his ambassadors, that's our responsibility. That's part of the go. Connect, grow, go, right? But notice what it says about the world. It says that he did not count their trespasses of their sins against them. That word count, it's, it's, an, it's actually an accounting word that means literally to deposit into an account. So here's what Paul's saying here. He's saying God is not depositing the world's sins into an account because Jesus Christ has already settled that debt. In other words, watch this now, this is huge. Jesus Christ has already paid for everyone's sin debt because if he hasn't, He'll have to die again. Right? Jesus Christ has already paid for the sins of the, of the whole world. Your sins, my sins, everyone's sins have already been paid for. That's why witnessing should be easy for us. That's why it's good news. Alright? We've got some great news when we share the gospel. In fact, that's why they call it good news. Jesus Christ has already paid the price for everyone's salvation. Now, I'm going to make a statement here that some of you might push back against initially but I'm going to explain what I mean after I say it, so hold on, all right? Ready? Here it is. 
People don't go to hell because of sin. People go to hell because of unbelief. I'm going to say that again. People don't go to hell because of sin. People go to hell because of unbelief. Jesus didn't say, if you don't sin, you get to go to heaven. He didn't say that. If you do sin, you go to hell. In fact, I'll tell you exactly what he said. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. People don't go to hell because they sin. They go to hell for not believing Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God who came to die for us and pay for our sin debt to God. In other words, Jesus has already written the check for all of our sins. It's up to us to go cash it. You understand that? He's already written the check. He gave it to us. But it doesn't do us any good unless we go cash it. And we cash it by receiving the love of His Son, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior. He's already stamped on there, paid in full on our account. But it's even better than that. Not only is our sin account paid in full, He also deposits the righteousness of God into our account. That's what happens when we get saved. But here's the kicker. This, This is up to us. This is on us. Right? We can choose whether or not to cash that check that Jesus already paid for us. Every human being is walking around with a check made out to God, stamped, paid in full. But we have to cash it. So, total depravity, unconditional election. And thirdly, the L in TULIP is limited atonement. This theological sounding phrase essentially means that Jesus died only for those who were pre-elected by God which we just covered under unconditional election. That God, in fact, didn't die for the sins of the world. We've already looked at a couple of verses that expose this view as not being right, but I want us to look at a couple more that include a phrase indicating that not only was Jesus' death and, and atonement for all people, it was also for all time. Hebrews 7.27 He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all. How many? All. I looked that word up in the Greek. You know what it means, Mike? All. All. It means all when he offered up himself. How much clearer could that be? Right? When Jesus Christ offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins, he did it for all mankind. Isn't that what it says? Again, I'm not trying to be facetious. I don't want to start a debate or an argument. But am I missing something here? Two chapters later, Hebrews 9, verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Now again, I'm not wanting to fight, debate. I'm not like that. I'm a peacemaker at heart. I'm a peacemaker. I hate, I hate confrontation. The only reason I'm sharing this somewhat theological message regarding eternity and Calvinism and Arminianism is because I have a desire for you to have a desire to see people come to Jesus. That's the only reason I'm sharing this. I mean, you, you could do without it. You know, your life's not going to be that much better because now you know the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism. But hopefully your life will be better because now you know why we go. All right? I want Jesus' words of the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to be a part of the DNA of your life, of our church. But if you believe some of these things we're talking about, it pretty much eliminates the Great Commission. And think about this. Not only does Calvinism embrace the idea that God determined that some would be saved and some wouldn't, you take that out to its extreme, and it basically says that God determined that some would get saved 
no matter what they did. Seriously, take it out to its extreme, and that's what it says. No matter what they did or didn't do. See, if Calvinism were true, right, then we should change our process from connect, grow, and go to connect and grow. We don't need to go. Right? Since God's already determined who's going to get saved and who's not going to get saved. So, total depravity of man, unconditional election, limited atonement, and then the next point, I, irresistible grace. Again, the Calvinist view of this simply means that the elect, those whom God has chosen to get saved, cannot resist the grace of God. That they will come to Jesus, period. That's what that means. That the elect, those chosen to be saved by God, will get saved because they will not be able to resist God's grace. I disagree with that as well. I disagree with that. I believe it's possible to resist God's grace. I know it because I did it for many years, and so did many of you. I said, I did it for many years, and so did many of you. All right. Again, when you step back, take an honest look at Calvinism, it basically promotes the idea that God created robots. Right? That God created us without a will and without the freedom to choose. And I believe that we do have the freedom of choice. In fact, and we'll talk more about this next week, but our belief determines, listen, listen real careful, our belief determines where we spend eternity and our behavior determines how we'll spend eternity. And we'll talk about that more next week. Well, actually two weeks. Okay. Our belief determines where our behavior determines how. Acts 7.51 You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you if it's possible to... Listen, think about it. If it's possible to resist the Holy Spirit, that must mean that we have the power to choose to do that, right? Matthew 7.24 and 26 Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them... Say those words with me does them, everyone who hears these words and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds like we have a choice to either do it or not do it, right? When it comes to hearing Jesus' teaching, we have a choice to do them or not do them. And according to Jesus, if we do them, we're wise, and if we're not, we're foolish. But that's our choice. That's our choice. Matthew 10, 32 and 33, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Look at that. See? You see that? Jesus clearly indicates that we have a choice in the matter of whether or not to receive him or not receive him. If we didn't have a choice, right? if we didn't have a choice, he would have said something like this. So, listen, everyone, I got all this worked out. Don't worry about your salvation. It's covered. That's not what he said. It's very clear. If we confess him, he'll confess us before the Father. If we deny him, he'll deny us before the Father. Literal translation, it's up to us. It's our choice. We make that call. We make the call first, and then he responds accordingly, not the other way around. He doesn't say, look, I'll make the choice, and then you decide what you want to do. No, he says, you make the call, and then I'll respond accordingly. So, total T, total depravity of man. Man is so depraved he can't even choose to accept God's love and forgiveness. You, unconditional election. God chose some to go to heaven and some not to go to heaven or go to hell. L, limited atonement. God's atoning work on the cross is only for the elect, those that God chose to go to heaven. I, irresistible grace. 
The elect will not be able to resist God's grace and will get saved no matter what they do. And then the last point of Calvinism is P, and that is the perseverance of the saints. This simply means that if you're one of the elect, one of the chosen ones to get saved, that you'll persevere to the end no matter what happens. The danger of this view is it takes personal responsibility out of the equation. In other words, you can do whatever you want because you're going to persevere. Right? Now, my personal view is that I do believe it's possible for someone to lose their salvation. I do. But here's what I also believe. I don't believe it is as easy as some people would lead you to believe it is. In fact, I think the writer of the Hebrews actually gives us, if you want to walk away from God, the writer of Hebrews tells you how to do it. There are certain steps you need to do, and you can walk away from God. But you know what? Even if you were to do that, I guarantee you, I know God's nature, He will be right behind you. Every You start walking away from Him, He's going to be right behind you every, way, every step of the way. Because that's the God that I serve, and that's the God that you serve. If you want to choose to walk away from him, you can do it. But it's not as easy as some people might think. And I've, I've had people ask me before they think they've com committed the unpardonable sin. Pastor, I think I've committed the unpardonable sin. I, I, I don't think I'm saved anymore. And I said, you know what? You haven't. Here's why. If it concerns you, you haven't. I'm just being honest. If you're concerned about it, there's something in you that, no. God's Spirit's still there. It's the people that aren't concerned about it. They're the ones that have actually walked away from God because it doesn't, it doesn't matter to them anymore. Does that make sense? And that might be a good way to interpret this last point. Switch around, switch around the, the second and third letters of perseverance and make it preserve or preservation of the saints. Psalm 37, 28. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. Psalm 97.10, Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. 2 Timothy 1.12, Which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Note the, note the preservation. Our security in Jesus is based on not, not on our strength, but on his strength. What has been entrusted to us? What, what is it that's been entrusted to us? To us? His atoning work on the cross. By faith, listen, we are eternally secure in Jesus. We are, by faith, we are eternally secure in Jesus. Matthew 16, 25, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Mark 8, 34, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Acts 2, 21, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 10.43, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Romans 10.13 and Revelation 22.17 And the Spirit and the bride say, Come and let him that heareth say, Come and let him that is thirsty come and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Here's what, I, here, here's what I'm telling you. Salvation's for whosoever. That's, that's the point. Salvation's for whosoever. You determine where you're going to spend eternity, dear ones. The Bible's very clear about this. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're going to go to heaven. If you don't, you won't. So, when you got to your seat this morning, Kyle 
pointed out, he had some of those invitation cards that we had made up. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, <clears throat> everyone look up at me now. If you checked out when I started talking about tulips, I didn't come to hear a sermon on flowers. No, no, no. Look up at me. If you were counting the lights and the chandeliers, there's 18. I already counted them. Look up. Because this, this is, this is very, very important. Here's what I want you to do with those cards. And he kind of talked about it a little bit. But remember, here, I'm going to do this again. I did this last week. Everyone take a look around. Take a look around. You see those empty seats? What do those empty seats represent? Empty souls. Empty souls. And that's why we gave you those cards. We gave you those cards so that as you pray, and, and I, I and look, I believe God's big enough. If you ask Him, Lord, who should I give a card to? He's going to show you. He'll show you. Give that card to someone and pray that 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 someone will end up in one of these empty seats here in the next week or two weeks or three weeks or whenever. Right? Hand them out when you're wearing your new awesome T-shirt on Wellsville Days next weekend. Right? Seriously. Hand them out when you're wearing that awesome looking T-shirt next week on Wellsville Days. After the parade. Before the parade. During the parade. Right? Leave one with a large tip next time you go to Smokey's and eat a meal. And if you're not going to leave a large tip, don't leave one. I'm just being honest. I'm serious. I'm just being honest. Leave one from the Methodist or Baptist. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I didn't say that. Cut that out, Brett. Don't, don't put that on. <laughs> if you're not going to leave a large tip, don't leave one of those. You know, you know what I'm saying. You know where I'm going with this. Right? Put one with a thank you note. And give it to your uh, kid's soccer coach or whatever. Dance teacher. Right? Bake some cookies. Take them over to your neighbor and put one of those cards in there with it. Right. Leave one with the cashier at Dollar General or that young lady at Casey's that I talked about last week. Here's the deal. Just make yourselves available. Again, if you pray, listen, I believe God's big enough that He'll show you who to give the card to and how to do it. All right? After spending some time in Ephesus, getting the church established there, the Apostle Paul is getting ready to leave to go back to Jerusalem. But before he leaves, he meets with some of the elders, the leaders of the church, and he's going to encourage them because he knows what's going to happen. In fact, he says later in the, in the chapter, in Acts chapter 20, it does say later after he left that some wolves came in and tried to blow up the church that he had spent years there starting, getting started. But so he has this meeting with these leaders in the church at Ephesus. And, and, and it's a very emotional time because he knows he's going to be leaving. He knows that he probably won't see them again. But he makes this interesting statement to encourage and exhort them to continue pushing toward forward and building the church and sharing Jesus with the lost. He actually said it twice, but it's in Acts chapter 20, in verse 20 and 27. But he says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And how I, I did not shrink. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from, the, from house to house. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So, here's what the Lord, here's the word of the Lord to us this morning. Don't, don't shrink back. Don't shrink back. We've come too far. God's doing some cool things here, isn't He? Don't shrink back. 
take those cards, pray how God wants you to distribute them, where He wants you to distribute them, and then be obedient to go and share the good news. Let's all bow your heads. If you're here this morning and you've never uh, taken that uh, first step with God, you've never connected with Him through inviting Him into your heart and life, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. It's a very simple process. Paul says that if, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So I'm going to pray a prayer here, but I want you to understand what we're talking about a life change here because maybe some of you have prayed this prayer before. And if you have, then then fine. But but again, don't don't just think that this is like a formula. If I say this, then you know I'm no. I, I only want you to pray this if you're serious about your life, God, about Jesus changing your life. Very simple prayer to say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I pray, Father, that you would help me to begin to live my life for you. I do confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, and I pray that he would come live in my heart right now and begin helping me to live my life for him. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Okay. Now, let's all stand. Here's what I want you to do. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want you to put that on the Connect card because there's a place on there where you can say that. I prayed that prayer with Pastor. Or, and, or, I want you to tell someone. Come tell me. Again, this kind of goes back to that verse where Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. And I don't know why I said that, but I think there's just something about driving a stake in the ground. Man, if you're serious with God, why wouldn't you want to tell someone, right? So if you prayed that prayer, then tell someone. Say, hey man, I prayed that prayer with Pastor. So we can celebrate with you again. I like parties. Don't you like parties? Let's have another one, right? Let's have another one. So if you prayed that prayer, put it on the card and or tell someone. Lord, I pray that you would go with us now as we continue on through this series in two weeks. Uh, continue to uh, open up our understanding. But more than anything else, I pray that we would be mindful that even through this theological, somewhat theological sermon, you know, the purpose was to help us understand even this greater sense of urgency that we need to go and we need to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Because all of these empty seats represent an empty soul and we want to see those filled up for your glory. We pray these things in your name and everybody said, Amen. Lord bless you. Go with the Lord. Don't forget, next Sunday, we are meeting where? Saddle Club. What time? 10 o'clock. Bring a lawn chair.